Hey guys and gals, just got back from a exercise induced endorphin run and uh, it felt great just because I woke up a little cranky this morning and uh, you know just recovering from a long drive. Took a nice tour out to Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, California. Kind of touched uh, Las Vegas to Nevada, so it was a long road trip and uh, met a lot of amazing people along the way, a lot of friends, a lot of new folks in the uh, Albuquerque Fire Department and the Albuquerque Police Department, but it got me thinking about, you know, mental health and how life is sometimes a struggle and sometimes it's awesome and fun and everything in between so just a little you know contemplation that I'm having here as I record in my car in front of Ocean Beach San Francisco one of my favorite places to hang out uh, ran up to the cliff house and back and uh, it was windy the waves are kind of stormy blowing out and it's amazing to see all the birds just sort of hang gliding in the the wind and uh, it's just been incredible, you know, just to really just think about life and just it's deep, you know, and uh, it's really good to get outside because we're all so inundated with so much stimuli and that includes our smartphone tech, which brings me to my next guest, Phil White, which I'll introduce right after this sponsored uh, show which is sponsored by F-Bomb Nutrition uh, Nut Butters They make amazing macadamia nut butters I love Ross and Kara Just saw them in Flagstaff, Arizona And took a friend of mine Michael Castro Giovanni Who's a, another amazing person Who's basically showing people How to connect with each other By throwing cannonballs With handles at each other Called kettlebell partner passing so it's just fun introducing Michael to Ross and Kara at their factory and Flagstaff. Kind of got a tour of how they make their amazing nut butter packets. And uh, all macadamia based. They have uh, pecan macadamia, uh, co coconut macadamia, salted chocolate macadamia. Amazing, amazing nut butters that you can eat while on the go. Um, or as a light snack or meal. For those that want to get a lot of good, healthy fats into their diet, um, you know, fat is smart fuel, as they say. So if you're interested in getting or trying nut butters from F-Bomb, go to dropanfbomb.com and punch in the promo code FLOWREAL, F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L, and that will give you 20% off your first order of nut butters. So check out fatbomb.com or dropanfbomb.com and get your first order of nut butters. So my next guest is Phil White and he wrote the book Unplugged. He co-authored with Dr. Andy Galpin who had been a guest on this Hangry and Horny podcast. Check that out. And also Brian McKenzie. Uh, these two guys are you know in the the fitness and health wealth wellness arena 
they are always looking at the most effective and efficient ways to uh, exercise and to look at nutrition. And uh, Phil White is an amazing author. He basically co-wrote the book Unplugged because they were looking at the issues with technology uh, being hooked up to smart gadgets and how we can, you know, kind of tap back into nature. Uh, we've lost touch with that with technology. And they're not saying to throw technology away, but to kind of find that harmonious balance between tech and our own guidance system, our own intuition, and the ability to listen to our bodies, listen to ourselves, each other, and the environment. So Phil White wrote, in conjunction with Brian McKenzie and Andy Galpin, uh, an amazing book that really looks at how you can sort of tap back into nature, tap into the flow of life, and it's an incredible book. He also just wrote the book, co-wrote the book, The 17-Hour Fast, and it looks at... Um, you know, the body's ability to clean itself out like a self-cleaning oven through a process called autophagy. And the metabolism of the body is sort of inundated as well with all these different diets and nutrition and and uh, processed foods. So, you know, the premise is that, you know, we're overloaded uh, with eating constantly uh, we have an abundance of food, uh, especially in America. And so it looks at how you can basically reset your immune system and your body through fasting and the benefits of fasting, which includes intermittent fasting. So Phil Wright co-wrote this book with, I believe, Dr. Frank Merritt, who's a emer emergency physician, doctor, medical doctor out of Florida, and, uh, you know, it was written in sort of, uh, you know, a memory of a, a friend, Dr. Merritt's friend, who had been diagnosed with cancer, uh, terminal brain cancer, and somehow through these methods lived another seven years, um, you know, as a result of learning how to fast uh, and and clean the body out and allow the body to to heal. So he uh, he gained another seven years when he only had maybe weeks or months to live after his initial uh, brain diagnosis. This is Doctor Frank's uh, friend. So the book is written in memory of this wonderful gentleman, and it's allowing people to look at the benefits of fasting and you know nutrition as a whole and uh so phil he's an incredible author amazing person we had a chance to actually record this podcast in evergreen colorado out on a trail on a hill in nature it was beautiful if you want to see the video for this podcast just go on to youtube and uh look at flow real tv and you'll see the uh, this video podcast of Hangry and Horny um, with Phil White. So without further ado, enjoy this amazing episode with the wonderful Phil White. Peace.
Phil, what's up, man? Oh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. Yeah, man, I like to uh, just jump right into yes. uh, Hangry and Horny. So what I do is I just like go, what's up, everybody? Right. Like, hey, so welcome to the show. Yeah, thank We're you. We're in Evergreen, Colorado, man. This is a beautiful place. Yeah, thanks for coming yeah. up the hill, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, it's really awesome to be actually unplugged. So yeah. um, first of all, like, who are you, Phil White? Who am I? Well, that's very existential. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, it, quite a lot of listeners probably wouldn't have heard of me, but um, probably have heard of some of my co-authors. So I have two books with Kelly Starrett coming out this year. So Waterman 2.0 and then Flight Plan. And uh, then Kelly, being the great connector, put me in touch with Brian McKenzie some years ago. And so he and I and Andy Galpin were batting around the idea of doing a book together for probably about a year and then came up with the, the topic of fitness technology which led to Unplugged and then Kelly also put me in touch with Fergus Connolly who at the time was Jim Harbaugh's performance director at the 49ers and uh, literally I just got a text from Kelly one day saying hey went to lunch with my, my mates at the 49ers one of them wants to write a book told him you could help cool nice like, okay so yeah within two weeks we'd agreed to write that that book game changer uh fergus and i and then um yeah also put me in touch with chris frankel who's the director of performance at trx and so do some writing for those good folks and uh yeah so really just um on this kind of big co-offering binge the last few years yeah and super prolific man like a ton of books with like a lot of notable figures in that that world yeah and so really just trying to to, to have that servant mentality and the way that I can, can serve these these people who have all these great ideas is to take what's in their head and uh, help them get it out to the masses to change lives by putting it on the page. And so really just enjoy that, that interviewing process and then supplementing that with research and then obviously the writing as well. So, That's cool. So, I mean, a lot of these guys... Uh, it's mostly men, no gals so far in terms of like uh, co-authoring. Right. Okay. So they're, these guys are like super busy, right? Mm -hmm. like, and so this message wouldn't get out unless there's someone like you that can be be able to distill this. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of them are really great at, at teaching it. You know, obviously, um, Brian was CrossFit Endurance for a long time, now Power Speed Endurance, and, and uh, Kelly obviously was a one-man show in Mobility World before Danny Matter and Rob Wilson and uh, Travis Stewart came on board. And so they're, they're great. They're all, they all have this commonality as well as having a passion of serving others and of trying to help fix people and improve lives of being great teachers. And so they can talk it very well. And some of them are actually pretty decent writers as well. But as you said, it's really just that time component. Time. And okay. so, yeah, just from a storytelling standpoint, it's a lot easier and more efficient for them for us to spend a few hours a week on the phone and me to scribble and words to come out the other end and then, then just have to clean it up a little bit or add to it a bit versus having to sit down and come up with 80, 90,000 words can be a, a little daunting for a lot of people. Absolutely. So for the audience that's listening, this is all in the context of like sports, health, wellness, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So what was your background? Like, how did you get into this world? And then yeah. like, how did you become an author? Sure. So yeah, um, in college, I was 
it's kind of a contradiction as we talked about earlier so an englishman who is an english major at a small american college (laughs) would have heard of uh in kansas city mid-american nazarene university and everyone's gonna think yeah it's christian on top of it yeah just this little (laughs) suburb you know um in in kansas city and so i came over from england and played um basketball and my kind of football there soccer and uh as i said was an english major and so after college you really had this dual track where I got a call one day from from my buddy Luke Kreisel, who's a great magazine writer, and I would argue one of the best magazine writers of our generation um, in New York. And he said, "Hey, bud, you know that book I'm writing?" And I said, "Yeah, okay." And uh, he said, "Well, you know, my dad's been sick, and so this is a guy I grew up with in England, and he had been going back home a lot. His dad had stomach cancer at the time, and." was just having to spend a lot of time doing that and then he was running two magazines at the time and obviously deadlines don't stop and so he said well we've got to have 80,000 words in three and a half months and I've got about 800 words wow and so could you help me finish this thing and by finish it he means pretty much write it and so he helped me a lot with the interviewing and so what this was was uh Jam Master Jay from Run DMC back in the day really uh, got together with a friend called Rob Principi and they founded the Scratch DJ Academy in New York and Rob thought uh, you know as well as doing like a little how-to guide he wanted to do something bigger and better than that so there was a how-to component but also really just to tell the the history and culture story of DJing and two tracks so hip-hop and electronic and so Moby ended up doing the forward you know and really uh, yeah we interviewed everyone from Paul Oakenfold to Grandmaster Flash in person um, Luke did some of the interviews in person in New York. Most of mine were on the phone. Okay. And so, yeah, ended up writing 80,000 plus words in, in three and a half months and kind of proving that I could do this. And then from there... Um, so you got like, you learned by trial by yeah, fire. trial basically. by fire. Yeah. And uh, yeah, never written anything more than probably a three or 4,000 word magazine piece. And then, uh, yeah, so from, you know, Snoop Dogg did a blurb for the back of the book. And so from, from Snoop Dogg, where logical to go next, but to win Winston Churchill. And so um, there's this crazy little slice of history where Churchill ended up in this small town in Missouri called Fulton in 1946 and really just called out communist Russia and what Stalin was really up to. And Churchill called it the most important speech of his career. And a lot of people don't know it was given in this tiny little town at this little college called Westminster College. Wow. And so a friend and I had been down in the museum and he was like, man, you know, this, um, this story is really fascinating. I wish somebody would tell it from the college's perspective and specifically the college president who had this crazy idea you know for our lecture series why not try to get the most famous guy in the world Winston Churchill managed to pull it off and so I ended up telling that story and so as I said kind of a crazy jump from DJing to, to Churchill and then Harry Truman was kind of influential at bringing churchill to this small town in missouri and then i i kind of geeked out on on truman for a while and read david mccullough's big doorstop book just called truman and uh was really fascinated by how truman survived this double split in in the democratic party in 1948 and this supposed republican dream ticket and so much so that uh the pollsters actually stopped polling in september of that year two full two months before the election because they yeah, thought it could be a landslide yeah. yeah and somehow he managed to win and so he uh he made these 352 stops around the country it just kind of went on the rails for 
for a long time and big th- campaign yeah 30,000 yeah. miles of, of rail travel really? and managed to to just get out and meet the people and in turn it pers- around yeah, yeah. In the flesh wow and connected. so yeah so these three books really as you said trial by fire proved to myself I could do it really helped me hone some best practices on the research side and at the same time being a two-sport college athlete I was writing for a canoe and kayak and sup the mag and I had jacked up my back deadlifting and um, I, I thought well I, I don't want to um, our insurance plan was crappy and I'm figuring the surgery route is going to be expensive I don't want to get hooked on opioids and so what can I do and so I stumbled across Kelly Starrett's work online and okay. uh, reached out to Kelly and said hey you know, you you know your your work has really helped me these last couple of months fix my back, and it just completely cleared it up with just those grainy parking lot of dreams, as he calls it, at San Francisco CrossFit. Um, you know, a lot different like than, this than selfie it is now. recording. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah, but just amazingly helpful. And, and um, I didn't know at the time that his background was he was a river rat. He was on the Whitewater National Team okay. paddling down in Durango. And you had this background when you went to college. You so, started, like, well, Ke- Kelly had this background. No, I know, but, but yeah, did so, you have it? That's why well, I connected. I, yeah, and okay. so for Sup the Mag, I pitched my editor a story on on Kelly Starrett, and you know, my editor didn't know who it was and didn't know anything about mobility but he said you know sure you can do that okay so just from one conversation with kelly you know we thought um he was getting ready to write ready to run his great book with uh, tj murphy who's a friend and an incredible writer and we thought well, why not do a similar book for paddlers surfers and rowers and so it took a few years to gestate but um yeah waterman 2.0 should hopefully be out this summer we're kind of in the final design stages and yes. uh, yeah so really you know saying if you're going to be on the water these are some of the positions you should be able to hit and if you can't here are some things to do and then also some lifestyle stuff around sleep and hydration and nutrition as well and so really anyone that's into water sports should uh yeah probably pick it up and then from there kelly just introduced me to this amazing network you know fergus Connolly, brian mckenzie um andy galpin and uh chris frankel again at trx and really everything just flowed out of kelly's willingness to be selfless and just connect that's awesome and, uh, yeah so pretty amazing how so your well, whole life can pivot in one conversation one, yeah, one interview yeah that's what we were talking about on our hike up to here you know just a sort of randomness or there aren't really any coincidences mm-hmm. you know so um let's just give a summary like what was the name of the first book that you wrote yeah uh, or, or let's give like all your books oh, to this man. point i, I, <laughs> I just think that people would love to like things to go back because you have uh, mainly recently all this sporting mm. sure. type of uh, genre but yeah. this thing about like the rappers and yeah. the electronic music and then mm. you know Churchill and Truman's right. like really fascinating because I'm a now understanding like the importance of history mm. you know and so I love to read like those books yeah. too yeah oh uh- Hate talking about myself, don't we? <laughs> in the forest, we should be talking about birds and oh, rivers. Yeah, I know. We'll get there, man. We'll get there. Yeah. So, um, so the DJ book is called "On the Record," and then um, the the Churchill book is uh, is called "Our Supreme Task." And then the Truman book uh, about the whistle stop tour is not very imaginatively titled "Whistle Stop." And then um, Waterman 2.0, as I said, was the first one kind of in this realm of human performance, but the most recent one to come out. And then, um, yeah, from there, obviously, Unplugged and uh, Game Changer both came out 
last year and then um this one i got here it's like shameless plug you know yeah the 17 hour fast uh with dr frank Merritt, who i met through brian mckenzie um that just came out this week um okay. we, we ended up self-publishing that on amazon for for various reasons but yeah frank is a uh, a trauma room physician down in florida and is also board certified in internal medicine and so brian just became fascinated you know frank frank says well the, the liver is made for for glucogenesis and and also for ketogenesis mm-hmm. and so um really just talking about you know we feel like the the fasting movement a little bit got co-opted by people who i mean some people have good intentions you know and, and others are, i think are partly trying to sell a line of supplements or yes. have an agenda and mm-hmm. so for me to to partner with someone like dr frank who um you know, is legitimately a practicing ER physician, and and as I said, has that board certification in internal medicine. So he has the legitimate scientific background. And then once I heard the story of why he he founded his company on the side and what he's trying to do. So his uh his best friend Jason was diagnosed with the most aggressive form of brain cancer some years ago and given maximum of six months to live. And um, well, Frank got together with uh with Jason's wife and then with a, a multidisciplinary team from the hospital you know endocrinologists and basically every ologist that you can think of in the medical community and said okay well, we we can't let this stand you know we got to help our friend how how can we do this and so they came up with a series of of protocols um and one of them was was fasting and they they managed to help jason not just outlive that uh that diagnosis but he lived seven years and was able to to have two kids with his wife and practice law almost until the end and eventually the cancer came back hard and and, okay. and took his life but yeah so before, he he had like he was given six months to live yeah and managed and to live seven years seven. yeah wow. and managed to have vitality which is why frank's company is called vitality pro and so before he passed um they were out on the porch one day and in the rocking chairs and Jason stopped rocking and he looked at Frank and said, Frank, you, you've got to promise me that what you've done to help me here um, isn't going to stop with me, that you're going to take this thing and use it to, to change lives and maybe even save lives. And so Frank kind of teared up and, and he uh, said, you've got to promise me, Frank. And he said, uh, looked at him right in the eye and he said, okay, I promise you, Jason, I'll do this. And so when I heard that, that kind of would have connected with anyone, I think, on a, on a heart level. But then uh, my wife's father, actually, John, actually passed um, from the same kind of brain cancer a year and a half before we met. Yeah, because you uh, see brain cancer, it's, it's aggressive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we think that um, maybe if if Nicole and her family had known what we know now through Frank and through doing this this book, The 17-Hour Fast, that we would have maybe been able to help her dad make some lifestyle changes and, um, you know, possibly prevent him from even getting cancer in the first place and so really we just feel whether it's cancer or someone's you know kind of knocking on the door of of cvd or diabetes um this can really help people or even just in everyday life you know we we um we have this abundance and it's it causes um some problems you know like our all, all these thousands of years of evolutionary biology and then only you know one or two percent of it have has been 24-hour drive-through lines and um you know 24-hour walmarts and all this kind of thing and so the fact that we can have food at any time with our brains you know need to forage and and tendency to if you came across you know big kill or whatever you would just feast up and and you you never knew where your next meal was coming from the combination of those things is not good and so we're 
it, a, a lot of the world is is chasing a calorie, as Frank says, and mm-hmm. in America we, we've got excess calories, and yeah. in the West in general we're dying of of diseases of choice. Right. And so again, if um, if we're able to distill this fasting down to a minimum effective dose, and then for people who are overweight on the front and back end, taper down the pre and post meals, both okay. in terms of portion size, up the good fats, up the protein a little bit, decrease the carbs, and make sure that it's you know fruit and veggies and maybe a few whole grains that Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be this radical where you have to fast every day it doesn't have to be this start with 18 hours 24 36 72 because i think a lot of people look at it as like a training regimen well if i squatted 200 pounds today i better be able to squat 210 by next week and Mm -hmm. the same methodology with fasting and i think that that can go wildly out of control and you don't have to be radical to be able to just become a bit more resilient you know, retrain your liver and your pancreas a little bit and um, and just make yourself healthier. And right, so right. really, to me, um, the motivation behind this book is pure. And uh, Frank, like the other co-authors, his dedication is to fulfill that promise, you know, to Jason to help change lives. And so when when my wife and I heard this, we were like, well, how could we not be on board with this book? Yeah, it's cool, especially this time in America and in the Western nations. It's like we had that overabundance and people are dying from having an excess available to them where in the past like you said that we didn't always have the knowingness when our next meal is going to come so it's built in to evolution Mm -hmm. to have a fast whether you liked it or not you know and so now we have the opportunity to like tune back into that evolutionary genetics Mm -hmm. and is that what you think may be correlated to a lot of these diseases that are coming up yeah, I think so, because, um, I mean, obviously, understand with all these books that I learned by osmosis, and it's kind of a master and apprentice thing with all these co-authors, um, but I, I don't have any formal medical school background, but Frank does, you know, and so knowing what, what he knows and then knowing what the research that Vitality Pro has done the last few years, that's certainly, I, I, I think, what he believes is that we... Um, that again, a lot of these diseases that we're suffering from and the biggest killers, you know, in the West and in this country, you know, all related to, to excesses in our lifestyle. And so if we're able to recalibrate a little bit, because, um, you know, sure you can have, there are times of feasting, you know, if you look at any spiritual tradition, you'll see that. But then again, also every spiritual tradition seems to have some kind of fasting. And if you look at cultures around the world and I haven't traveled to as many countries and continents as you have but you've likely seen that all over the world well it's funny you're very psychic right now because that was what i was thinking about in some of these holy works that i've read that they have this tradition of like fasting and feasting you know and uh a lot of it is i'm not really sure entirely like how they came to this because these are a lot of like ancient cultures Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. ancient wisdom you know and now like modern culture is like catching up to it and saying like hey maybe these people knew something even though they couldn't prove it Mm -hmm. so you're leading on to that like these other cultures and or traditions yes have this built in right and and kind of that that um i think also our culture is very arrhythmic you know and technology is somewhat accelerating that arrhythmia and so i think that in those ancient cultures somewhat that it was a and again i'm not an anthropologist so i wouldn't be able to speak as an authority really but just i get the sense that there's this um there's this discipline and this rhythm built in. So obviously, you know, with your martial arts background, well, that is a daily practice. Or even what what Pavel uh, says in Simple and Sinister, you know, about the kettlebell training can be a daily practice.
anyone can have a daily physical practice. So obviously, yoga would be another. Right. Um, mobility would be one. Breath work would be another. Yeah. And so we have these things. And then in spiritual traditions, there's obviously prayer and study of a sacred text and the discipline of silence and solitude. And then the also, as we just mentioned, this commonality amongst seemingly all religions and faith disciplines of another one being fasting. And right. so it, it, it is interesting, isn't it? And it's kind yeah. of what Brian McKenzie says about making old medicine new. Right, and right. So, and they're all leading to becoming like a better human being, accessing vitality. Mm-hmm. Yes. And a lot of it was like uh, some of the, the religious texts I've read is that like if you eat too much, you're going to lose your life force. Mm-hmm. Life force. So um, we all felt that when we feasted on thanksgiving you know we have a food coma well every time we do that every single day i think that Mm -hmm. that cumulative effect would lead to an excess of body fat Mm -hmm. uh, all kinds of like symptoms that are not uh, healthy you know and so these these things were pointed out in this like old medicine that's now becoming new yeah Exactly. Yeah, and I think even certain certain processes, you know, autophagy, so sloughing off dead cells or using decom- partly decomposing cells to create new cell matter and regeneration, both in body and brain, you know, you start to see that some of that kind of thing is um is almost if not completely switched off then diminished if you're constantly in a fed state and so obviously you can take this thing to the nth degree you know you can be monitoring your blood sugar every 15 minutes to make sure you're still in ketosis and and i certainly would never take away from the people that are you know just gung-ho about always being in ketosis but frank's thing is like look for most people that isn't practical and, and also, also stressful too and it's stressful <laughs> and also if you try to go in, into a gym and follow you know pick an pick an elite athlete lebron james's workout and you're sedentary you're just going to be demolished and you're going to think well this is why i hated working out and why i stopped 15 years ago right yeah yeah and so there's an adherence component to it as well where it it um you know we see kind of the 17 hour, hour fast is, is an on-ramp for people where mm-hmm. we say okay just try this once a week yeah the first couple of times it may be unpleasant pleasant but here are some lifestyle things to go along with it to make it less so so we we advise people maybe in the evening at least to do a tech fast along with that and as well as to spend some some me time to also spend quality time with friends and family and uh and to really kind of um make this a more intentional time to slow down a little bit you know and some accompanying practices that hopefully make it a bit less unpleasant for those first few weeks so that people feel the benefits and whereas you know the hunger pangs or the expected you know because there's this fear of it and all this skepticism where even i thought well goodness you know i mean look at me i'm <laughs> i'm at 187 188 on a good day with my pocket full of rocks and so i thought well you know am i going to struggle to to keep weight on or am i going to start dropping weight or whatever and so i had all these objections from a performance standpoint on the other if, end if of I the spectrum, my, yeah. my banana and my handful of almonds 30 to 45 minutes before i work out you know i'm going to bonk if i'm out paddling for a couple hours or whatever right. and a lot of these things are just artificial constructs mm-hmm. and fallacies but perception is reality and, right. and there is no separation between body and brain and so if we perceive these things and even in the endurance community you know coaches tell me oh 
you need a, a, a goo or a gel every 20 to 30 minutes of a race or you're going to bonk or, you know, all these different things. And it's like, well, I think the liver is capable of, of fueling us just a, for a little bit further than that, you know, or longer than that 20 or 30 minutes. But even within the, in quotes, performance community, we see these fallacies and we see, you know, in the, in the wider population, just this obsession with snacking constantly and being in this fed state. And so then you start to look at, like we talk about autophagy being diminished and some of these other beneficial processes that the body starts to forget when it when it's never encounter, encountering any kind of scarcity. Yeah, which is crazy because I remember like back in like the 90s and like like 2000s, the whole thing was like if you want to lose weight and it was like very counterintuitive was to snack throughout the day to be a grazer, you know, and it's like the whole body com- bodybuilding community got into that because mm-hmm. it was like you're in constant state of uh, anabolism, you know, in terms of anabolic mm-hmm. hormones. But you just, it was also counterintuitive to actually fast, and that would actually increase muscle. And this mm-hmm. is like what's really neat about their research that yes. it's now being studied by all these institutions and saying, like, hey, no, like there's a sort of like a balance point mm-hmm. with, with this where you want to be in uh, an anabolic state, but there's time to be in a catabolic state. And that's the reason why that we have these certain hormones built in, and there's like a circadian rhythm to it, yeah. talking about unplugged and being in nature you know and then what i really love about what you guys are doing is that a lot of people when they hear information they get so like inspired and motivated and they try to like you know eat the whole damn cow in one bite right so to speak so where they go on a workout program Mm -hmm. they'll try to do that lebron james like workout like their first day and just completely be sore for like a week barely walk you know can't get out of bed and they're like this doesn't work you know whereas you guys are like hey don't change much about your lifestyle just implement this tiny little step Mm -hmm. and then do that consistently as with any discipline practice Mm -hmm. that you just mentioned earlier you know and then you could see the the sort of transformation that happens and if you're just patient enough to just do a little bit at a time and then as you grow you could take on more that Mm -hmm. capacity to do more is increased Mm -hmm. you know versus trying to like conquer rome in one day right yeah exactly Yeah. yeah and i think um even just selfishly it it just doing the fast a couple of times a week has made me so much more resilient and made me realize how unresilient i was (laughs) right and so there was one day recently where i was on the phone with a co-author and um we were meant to go until a certain time and and he had something come up where he he said hey can we can we um, go go to that time and then because this thing came up tomorrow, I've, I'm going to have to cram in tomorrow's time this afternoon if that's okay. And so I ended up going until three forty five, three fifty in the afternoon. And I hadn't been planning to fast. And sure, I mean, some people may technically say it wasn't a true fast because I'd had my coffee in the morning and was still kind of sipping it at that point. But okay. you know, so it wasn't a you know complete water fast. But right. at the end of the day, I hadn't had any food, and I was able to go to that point and. Um, um, you know, a couple of years ago, I would have been in all kinds of trouble with that. Cognitively, I would have slowed down and everything else. But then we, you know, we read about Jimmy Moore, I think it is, that talks about the ketone clarity, you know, and I felt like I was able to focus. And so, yeah, other than him saying, I'll call you back in five minutes, so I just need to go refill the coffee, you know, once he got his coffee and I was caffeinated, we were able to keep going for another couple of hours. And so even, you know, Andy Galpin, co-author on Unplugged, talks about this a lot. Like we... 
we keep thinking um, we need to live every day optimally. Yes, yes, that's right. What we talked but, about in that but last even, episode. But even with yeah. on it, you know, with, with Aubrey and 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 Carl Kingsbury, who's becoming a good friend and getting to know him the last couple of years, and um, really just the you know that on its thing is total human optimization. But I know that they would say as well, and Aubrey says in his his book, recent book, which everyone should pick up because it's excellent. That you know you can you can try to optimize, but life isn't optimal. You know, and so sometimes if you have, say, a newborn in the house, well, guess what? Your sleep is not going to be optimal for six to nine months. That's just reality. You know, I have two boys, eight and ten. I can vaguely remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, so that you know that that sleep isn't going to be optimal. Well, if you have a stressful job, you know, or a job that involves deadlines in any way, well, guess what? You're going to have some work stress. Okay. Well, relationships undulate you know and kenny kane um andy's co-host on the body of knowledge podcast talks about this this undulation and contextual programming and how physical um programming needs to account for the growth and decay curve of of life because it's not just linear like you can't just say okay you want to get to this goal we're going to go on this straight line here's this you know physical stimulus which is going to yield an adaptation and we're just going to keep marching along because things get in the way. You know, oh, I've got to take a red eye to, to Philly on Wednesday for work. Or I've got to go here and do an interview unexpectedly because someone who wasn't going to be available is now available. All these different things in life. You know, right, your kid right. has a so problem. So you can't get your supplements in. Yeah. You can't biohack. You can't no. go out in nature and ground. You can't, like, do. Exactly. But maybe you can do some breathing yeah, or something. You can, yeah, you, yeah, there's you, something. You, then, then you start to get into the realm of portable practices, you yeah. know, with, with the breath work, with, with the mobility that, you know, we could we're like oh man freaking hips are tight from those kettlebell swings yesterday well sure we could both put our feet up on the on the table and and do what kelly would do and you know get into some just like some couple rotation. minute things yeah, and, but... and, and so those portable practices are very useful but again with the fasting even though it may not be you know a full fast like say i, I had uh grabbed an apple mid-morning well it, it doesn't matter that that wouldn't have been a full fast but the point being on that particular day i had a situation that was suboptimal in terms of nutrition Okay, and and I'd worked out hard and fairly late the evening before. I'm not not a morning guy, as you know. I'm an evening guy, right, so right. you know. It, it, so my body, you know, somebody would say, as you said, well, you need your protein in, you know, 20 grams within 20 minutes or 30 within 30, and then you got to do do this every couple hours. And so my body was still in that state where it was trying to recover from that kettlebell workout the night before. But you know, I felt fine and I dealt with it. And it's not to say that I'm bulletproof or super resilient, but just. You know, you were just down with Scott Carney, and as he talks about in What Doesn't Kill Us, you know, sometimes we need scarcity and circumstances that force us to be more resilient. So at those times when life throws us curveballs and is not optimal, which parentheses is most most days in some way, shape, or form, and sometimes it's everything can go to crap, yeah. you're able to get through and, and to not just um, not just survive that, but to thrive in that. Yeah, exactly. So you're talking about the adaptation piece of that optimal adaptation balance that Andy Galpin talks about, right? So life is life and shit's going to happen. Just like you said, deadline's going to come up or some author or somebody you're talking to has to extend the mm-hmm. meeting because there's something else that's coming up mm-hmm. the next day that you yeah. guys are supposed to meet. Yeah. So you figure out a way to like accept that situation because a lot of people are like i guess they have a certain goal Mm -hmm. like say a bodybuilder Mm -hmm. or something 
which they're not usually very healthy in the first place, you know, but they want to gain a certain amount of muscle. And their their thought is if I go a few hours without eating, I'm going to eat away all my work, all the mm-hmm. muscle, all the protein that mm-hmm. I've eaten. Yeah. And, uh, but it's actually, uh, something that they, if they just accept that and it's part of life that in the long run, they're going to be more resilient. They're going to, their body's going to adapt mm-hmm. to, get to that outcome yeah yeah exactly and obviously there is value in routine you know and and we see this particularly um in in kids with special needs you know that routine like anyone on on the autism spectrum if that routine gets thrown off you know and you know obviously you and i have our practices you know the hot and cold and you know whether it's the kettlebell work or some kind of daily physical practice and i sure like my my mobility work as well as my wife can attest all the torture equipment that her and the kids keep tripping over you know, <laughs> from mobility ward but um so yeah sure we, we we like our routines and there's comfort to be found in routine and also we can you know um steve magnus and uh brad stolberg you know their excellent book peak performance they talk about the value in routine and so you can kind of alleviate some of that stress or even fergus conley you know talks about on game day and the the day before particularly you know yeah. athletes keeping that routine the yeah same. priming priming even right? down to the meals yeah, yeah so subconsciously it leaves you more of what the old russian scientists in the 50s and 60s call that kind of overall functional reserve so that you can deal with the chaos of game day mm-hmm. and the situations that present themselves in that chaotic system of a game of any kind and so the even same, life the same in life you yeah, know, if yeah. you're preparing for a big presentation at work or whatever it helps to have that routine but at the same time you know as andy's spoken to you know i mentioned a bit in your conversation there are those days where where it isn't possible so now what mm-hmm. you know or even going back to unplug so you know with obviously colorado there's a lot of triathletes here and some pretty hardcore athletes well, what if your power meter on your bike goes out right before a training ride? Does that mean you should just pack up and go home? Well, no, you should be self-aware and self-calibrated enough to know roughly what your rate of perceived exertion should be. Um, you know, the same reason that I didn't replace the, the, the monitor batteries in my Concept2 row machine when they went out. Because I know if I'm meant to be doing 500 meter intervals or, you know, one minute on, one minute off, well, I know roughly what my stroke rate is. I know roughly what that's meant to, to feel like and, and what I meant to feel the at the duration, end. And, yeah. Yeah. And then, when, and then when I have recalibrated that, you can use the tech as a check in point. Mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty close. And Andy actually did an experiment where they had athletes come in to the lab at Cal State Fullerton and, and run you know a, a certain distance um and then they had them come back in with no technology not even a wristwatch and said okay just recreate that and the only guidance they gave them was okay remember that run you did the other day make it feel the same and they were all plus minus i think five seconds or less wow well that shows us th- this body that we've been given is an amazing self-calibration machine right and so we don't you know, if your tech fails, well, guess what? That isn't the end of the world. You know, if you're not able to get that nutrition in, you know, even after your workout, you're not you're able to get your 20 grams of complete protein within 20 minutes, your 30 within 30, and then eat two out every two hours. Well, you're going to be okay. Like, you're going to be all right. You right, know, or right. even sleep books recently, like Matthew Walker and Chris Winter both have excellent sleep books that I binge read back to back. Mm-hmm. And Chris Winter talks about the, the pro teams he works with, and the message there is like, okay, so it stinks that you have to go and fly across the country and, and you know, have a, this back-to-back game. But don't set yourself up for failure like, oh, these are the games we're going to lose. You know, even on ESPN, I saw some story recently toward the end of the NBA regular season, like, oh, 
or you know based on you know disrupted sleep and this kind of thing these are the games that the teams battling for playoff spots are probably going to lose well that can become a self-fulfilling prophecy if you're one of the star players on that and you read that and think oh yeah we are going to move you know we got minnesota tomorrow night we're going to lose that because we're jet lagged well guess what you're probably going to go out and not play very well so again the mind-body connection is pretty powerful it is pretty powerful we we just got to think about that and realize that okay suboptimal doesn't mean absolute collapse or failure right right so there's two things that came up for me so there's the feeling intuition side that is very uh, evolutionary so with all this tech we sort of replace that like understanding like how we're feeling both physiologically and psychologically right and two a lot of people who are optimizing if they fail like on sleep or supplements they'll just like throw in the hat and give up completely on a, a, a program and one of the things i noticed with a lot of like successful people is that they get it done whether they have a bad day or not you know like they will in the long run just keep going yeah. you know and so that's the only difference is a lot of people quit because they're like oh you know i didn't i didn't complete this task for the day so i'm just gonna give up completely versus just like hey i fell off the fucking wagon you know now let's just let's just get back on i fell over like a kid does when they're learning to walk yeah. let's just get up and try again yeah you know and then so then there's the intuition side which you know it's in alignment with that andy galpin uh experiment where if you really are in tune because like how the hell did we get around without gps right like how did we um know the timing to call someone when we didn't have voicemail Mm -hmm. right it was just like when you're in sync with life and when you get unplugged Mm -hmm. you know tech is amazing actually like it's great for leveraging and being able to give us the time constraints to do a lot of the things that's why we have all this abundance of time Mm -hmm. and we're wasting it like binge watching shit binge binge eating things you know because we're kind of bored but if we tune back into like these things Mm -hmm. of you know tuning back to ourselves like we kind to get in sync with things and like with you and i meeting up right i was like threw it out there like yeah. hey man i'm in denver i would love to like interview you and it just so happened to like line up yeah exactly yeah and obviously partly through you staying with scott carney who's he's a good friend and just a great connector again and just um yeah just these amazing people that you encounter but even just making space so to go back to the fasting but one of the things that that frank talks about is um is how we're crowding out, you know, moments of joy and appreciation in our lives. And so, you know, part of, uh, again, using the fasting part as kind of an on-ramp just to help people kind of take stock of themselves and reorient a little bit and so you know so i'm chronically late i'll confess to you you know i I would say it's because of my dad and he would say because it's because of his dad and you know we'd have this long line of lateness in our family and so that just means that i need to leave dramatically early to be on time so i rolled up you know right at right nine at o'clock yeah, yeah which yeah. was very surprising um my, <laughs> my wife would have said we well, never do that for me what are you doing right but um it would have been eight fifty. but i met um a friend dave he and his wife have on two, the way two kids same school and he was fishing in the lake and um of all things you know people might roll their eyes at this as being hipster and being so colorado but he's actually um he was going to start a food truck but then started looking into or would he be able to scale it over time 
and decide he's just going to sell some artisanal scones and other stuff online and he just has enough demand from friends and family who like his baking creations to do this and and he said man i tell you what i don't know how this thing's going to play out the next few years you know he's launching the website in a couple of weeks but he said i'm never going back to corporate america you know and so just one that's a really cool sentiment but two the fact that i left a little bit early because of my chronic lateness because i didn't want to disrespect you and your time um and i knew that if i you know left with only a couple of minutes to spare well there's the chance i could run into someone so just creating a few more gaps because i think that sometimes you listen to certain podcasts and you read certain books and they're all about you need to do this one more thing because it's going to change your life or maybe these top 10 thing you know li listicle th type things you know or <laughs> you know life hacker type things of and it what it becomes is almost this uh henry ford efficiency model to life where the assembly line has to keep churning and if you make if you waste two seconds you know that it's you know, something you could be doing in that time yeah it become like a machine basically yeah, and, like, and that's, yeah. that's a great way to run an assembly line it transformed manufacturing but it is not a great way to run a life and you got to so, scale, man. Yeah. And, and so where are – to me, it, it's becoming, you know, the last couple of years, not where can I jam more in, but where can I start to create more spaces so I can cut out, you know, like this afternoon, um, probably pick the kids up from school and take them to play some tennis or basketball or kick a ball around. You know, where can I carve out that time at least two days a week and commit to that? Where can I find time, you know, to reconnect with a friend for an hour-long conversation, or like like uh, so with this, rather than just these fragmented bursts of of communication by text or by Facebook Messenger? And it's not those things are bad. I mean, you sent me a Facebook message, I sent one back, we went back and forth. Yeah, that's where this, like technology works up. for and us. So, yeah. yeah, the technology is neutral; it's how we wield it. But again, yeah. you find um, the Instagram is a great time filler, right? Right. You're waiting You're just, in line yeah. at the airport. Well, I've got to fill every minute with either fidget spinning or mm -hmm. fidgeting yeah. by spinning. Yeah, with anytime you're in line somewhere at a supermarket. Anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, line behind you, there's three right. people and two of them are on their phone. Yep. And so you start to try to consider what, what kind of effect, is it positive or negative that we're trying to fill our heads and our minds and our lives with activity every second of the day? And again, it goes back to arrhythmia versus rhythm. And just trying to find that rhythm and, you know, what are some of the ways that we can start to put in more time to, to just pause and to to appreciate and to take, you know, pay attention to what's going on around us, pay attention to people truly right. in conversation. Right, right. Your family, than, your friends, yeah. you're talking about like putting in joy from uh, Dr. Frank, you yeah. know, like getting that aspect of life that's getting like squeezed out. Mm -hmm. Everybody's wondering why they're depressed, anxious. You know, and uh, it's just awesome that we're realizing this because I think that most of us never realize these things until it's like like almost too late or we're at the other end of that spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so like we have to swing it back a little bit. But I'm certainly guilty. Like I'm hiking up in like Colorado, but I'm like wanting to share this view to my friends, you know, which oh, is no. awesome. But I was hiking with two other friends like Scott Carney and mm -hmm. Michael Castro Giovanni. Right. And uh, they're like up ahead and I'm like slipping on. On, like mud because it's just rain it's clay and i'm like filming this but I, a part of me felt like i was not engaged with them mm -hmm. you know and so it's trying to find that balance right because i could just take a couple of shots and then sink in back with them instead of like pulling my phone out like every moment you know and trying to like record this mm -hmm. yeah, yeah.
yeah it's and again it's balance it's not saying you have to become a luddite you have <laughs> yeah. to put on sackcloth and ashes yeah, yeah. and you're only going to eat bread and water or whatever it might be um so it, again it's not say, it, or going no to, fun man no alcohol yeah, I mean, no drugs on. yeah no coffee like what the heck is going on you yeah know? yeah but, no good food yeah yeah can't eat spaghetti come yeah, on now it's not paleo bro yeah <laughs> that's awesome so um dr frank uh how did so you met him through brian mckenzie yeah and so what has he found with this type of uh like lifestyle of eating so fasting for what's like the goal or Mm -hmm. the is it it's 17 hours so like how did he come to that number yeah and so really it was just um reviewing the literature you know over several years and then as i said like getting with this multidisciplinary team at the hospital to try to save jason's life his friend and then extend it and just kind of you know came down to best practices so obviously it's pretty close in number to the 16-8 you know intermittent fasting okay and so that's you know that's a worthwhile thing to do but um you know for us it goes kind of beyond the fast even and with tapering those pre and post meals so getting the portions down to you know maybe 75 percent the first time you do it and then maybe 50 percent and particularly for somebody that's chronically overweight or obese to try to get into a new pattern of eating where they're not eating quite so much and they're starting to change the macronutrient balance a little bit so it's not so heavy on the processed carbs and again doing it gradually yeah but then you know eventually maybe that pre and post meal um calorie count and portion size starts to become the norm for them so not only does doing that for everybody kind of extend the benefits of the fast or amplify them a little bit but again for that at-risk population and we know the percentages on obesity in this country and and, in the west in general well for them hopefully that that smaller portion size with a better macronutrient balance can start to become a new normal for them and then as i said obviously there is that kind of it's the kind of gateway drug to then okay how am i living my life you know i've been going hard and fast for all these years is that helping me? Well, maybe in my career, but maybe what what kind of negative effects? Yeah, where they trade off or my, or my yeah. friendships, or right. you know. So, what are some of these other practices that we can start to to put with this? You know, whether it's breath work or whether it's you know hot and cold and this kind of thing. Um, whether it's again relational things on the family and friend end, and uh, maybe again combining a an actual fast with a tech fast, you know, and try right. to couple the two together. Yeah, so stacking. Yeah, exactly. kind of stack, yeah, and yeah. see what, what happens there. And so, yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, kind of the radical cutting-edge ketosis research that Don Diagostino and others are doing. And, you know, just interviewed Dom and just super gracious. I mean, who gives you time when they've been on the road for several days on a Sunday afternoon? I'm sure he would rather be catching up with his wife and talking to me for this keto plus alcohol story for on it that i was doing at the time but amazingly generous and yeah some of the research that dom and those others are doing in this field is amazing and so this is you guys are like translating that it's trying to you know like make it practical for everyday people for the masses and make it so it's not a hardcore science book and again i'm not a researcher like dom you know and, and i'm not you know board certified like frank and so it's just trying to be for me to be the conduit and to right. learn on the job with these guys and then again find how i can spin it back to people on the page and then apply it to my own life as well selfishly <laughs> see what i can take because for me i mean you know whether it's the breath work with brian and you know all the stuff i've learned from andy and then with fergus you know knowing that we need to 
to not just develop uh, physical qualities, but also technical, tactical, technical, psychological, and those are indivisible from the physical elements, you know, and really applying that and that load balancing even to, to my work. Um, whether it's the mobility with Kelly and making that a daily practice, whether it's, um, again, just this past couple of weeks, going back to the simple and sinister program from powerful and you know brett jones and craig marker and pavel will just continue to do great work with with their practice yeah so really just to take from from all these guys a little bit and to learn from all of them to me is a real blessing and then to be able to as you said kind of be the channel to put that on the page so hopefully it gets to the masses and the others are able to start again just taking a little bit here and there you know you've got fasting here mobility here breath work here kettlebell work here and then like you yeah, I so, mean, you're a seeker and, and just what we talked about earlier today yeah, some exactly. of the many practices that you've you've um even uncovered recently and started to dive into that so yeah it's like a a mma approach. of life you know you're talking about bruce lee i love that quote you know and w- what was it again about essentialism yeah and i'm yeah. gonna butcher it but something like you know keep what is uh keep what is useful discard what is useless and add what is uniquely your own i think i probably stole that from rob wilson but <laughs> yeah yeah so that's the thing that you know life is like one big uh, long experiment you know and so what we found with these people is we can like distill the best things and incorporate it into our lives integrate it and become it itself you know and what's really cool about you is i can tell that you're not just some writer or somebody that's like pushing out information to just sell it but you actually like live the lifestyle and this is like the same uh, common denominator with a lot of the people that i interview is that they're actually like living this stuff right so um let's get into the uh what's the upsides of like fasting and what would be like the potential like downsides you know because um one of the things i notice is why i love eating fat so much is it it makes me full it satiates me it keeps me uh not hungry for a longer period of time yet in this country we've been conditioned to think that we need to eat low fat because of cholesterol being bad and all these things where like cholesterol the brain nervous system cell membranes are all made out of fat and i think a lot of these conditions are coming up because people aren't eating enough fat mm-hmm. eating too much sugar mm-hmm. you know having these like up and down roller coaster energy levels yes. and then obviously over time like the pancreas is shutting down they're de- developing like uh, more adipose tissue mm-hmm. so um so again like what's going on with yeah. the fasting and like and then- how that benefits people and what would be the potential downsides right yeah, and I think you just touched on a big a big part of it. And then obviously another effect of that sugar glucose roller coaster is um is obviously eventually you become pre pre diabetic and then diabetic, you know, at a certain point when that that kind of axis between the liver and pancreas and, and the rest of that system starts to become misaligned. Well, over time, that dysfunction leads to disease. And so, and not only with, with diabetes, but with cardiovascular disease, with stroke, and, and with the, the, you know, potentially the development and, and then the, the rampant cell overgrowth of cancer. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, those are, you know, the lifestyle diseases that um, we've, we've created this this massive massive endemic problem in this country and in the west in general you know partly caused by the fact that we haven't caught up to these 
new ways of, of food storage. You know, even the refrigerator, if you look at it historically, is not that old. You know, the icebox, whatever you want to say. Yeah, you know? great. And then ways of food distribution. So if you look at the... Again, we were talking about history earlier, the highway system in the 50s. Well, great for a lot of stuff. Great for road tripping, right? Thank yeah. you, President Eisenhower. Yeah, but yeah. Um, not so much thank you in terms of it allowed um, fast food restaurants to, to, to spread more rampantly. And obviously for food to be delivered more. So then you combine that with refrigerated yeah, storage. Yeah, well, trucks. I'm just going to interject here because I took a 17-hour trip from California mm. to be here in Colorado. And it was just like so frustrating that like every gas station has like... Like 99% of unedible mm-hmm. food according to my standards, right? And it's so frustrating. It's like, I really got to do so. It's one of those perfect times to actually fast, you know? And I had like some snacks, like mm-hmm. nuts to carry with me that were high fat. Sure. Um, but again, yeah, it just goes back to that highway system, how all these little stops are designed, you know, for commercialism, you know? Right, exactly. And then you get into, you know, 24-hour access to food and the fact yeah. that you have these giant sub-zero fridges in houses and, you know, and then massive pan- walk-in pantries and everything. Right. And so, and then really, as we talked about a little bit, and again, I'm not an anthropologist, but, you know, we we were conditioned over thousands and thousands of years to, well, if you didn't, if your hunt was unsuccessful, well, you're going to be fasting for a bit longer. Deal with it, you know? Or, <laughs> right. oh, well, maybe you'll come across some berries in the morning or you pick a few of them and eat them and uh, then move on. But then when, you know, if, if there was a, a big enough kill, you're going to load up on that because the brain fears scarcity to a certain degree and doesn't know when it's going to get its next meal. So you have all these old instincts, but then you have the, these new mechanisms of food access and abundance. And those, those two things do not jive, you know. And then you start to talk about, you know, from a behavioral standpoint, habit loops. Well, if it's a default habit, whether it's an endurance athlete who on the bike is has all these goos and gels, you know, in these pouches and every 20 minutes they do it. Well, okay. Well then if you just took that away from them on that three hour training ride, well, maybe they will bonk, maybe they will have problems, you know? And, um, you know, just similarly, well, if your habit is when you're at home in the evening where you have dinner and then two or three times before bed, where you wander into the pantry and you get a few chips and then you go to the fridge and you get some dip and this and this, some ice cream and this and that, and it becomes habitual, well, then you start to, to draw this line between, you know, mindset and thoughts and behaviors and then, hab- you know, habits forming out of hardened behaviors. And then you get stuck in these loops. And so you start, you know, you look at books like uh, Charles Duhigg's The Power of Habit mm-hmm. and that kind of thing and, yeah. and how hard habits are to break. And if you're going to, you know, you can't just get rid of it. But you've got to replace it with something else. Or what's that going to be? And so, even just looking at the psychology of overconsumption of food, both in terms of portion size and the regularity of it, means that we're almost constantly in a fed state. So then, okay, well, now autophagy isn't working right. So you've got problems even down to the the very cellular level. You know, now your liver and pancreas are going haywire because they don't know what's going on. You're cl- constantly topping up with glucose, whether you're an athlete or not. And so your body starts to to almost detrain the liver and pancreas or at least the, you know, downregulate the the ketogenic pathways. And so to the point where you almost uh, become dependent on these frequent glucose top offs. I mean, we've even had friends and family members, excuse me, come out here in Colorado 
and do this hike you know that we did a little bit of and like hey did you did you bring a granola bar with you in your backpack or something you know and <laughs> like, start freaking out and it's like you had breakfast you know 45 minutes ago like right, what, right. what is going on but yeah. they've just conditioned themselves that like you said either it's just the it becomes a fad like the grazing fad and that's it or even again it, if we look at um breakfast okay like breakfast is the most important meal of the day well we found out in in writing the 17 hour fast and researching it that that is a marketing slogan yeah i was going to get into the marketing advertising first came came to be in a magazine that was funded by none other than john harvey kellogg the kellogg cereal company and then ironically one of their main competitors the post cereal company it was in the 40s and 50s that they got hold of this slogan and kind of almost trademarked it and put all this advertising and they you know paid some doctors to be on ads like doctor so and so says breakfast is the most important meal of the day and so it's like, smoking yeah exactly <laughs> right yeah with, with i think at one point like 70 percent of the new york yankees had cigarette uh endorsement deals you know wow. that kind of deal yeah and so yeah similar thing and so it became just i mean how many people watching or listening to, to our interview today have heard the phrase breakfast is the most important meal of the day yeah exactly well, that doesn't just come from nowhere but it mm-hmm. came from a writer who was paid by john harvey kellogg to write an article in which that phrase appeared then it was co-opted by the post cereal company you know three decades later until it got to the point when an idea seeds in 51 percent of the population or more and becomes accepted and then we get into what you said throwing the baby out with the bathwater on fat oh well, it causes heart disease and then obviously the sugar conspiracy you know on the other side of it or like oh well, the you know the sugar companies are trying to to put all the blame on fat and then we get to the so how many people you know again have heard I saw these like blowbacks right yes exactly yeah. that fat fat is bad you know and then we of course oh well butter is bad well then what comes out of that margarine and all these trans artificial fatty, yeah. and then you have the whole thing with trans fats and, and then so, they get banned so andy andy banned. would talk about the law of unintended consequences mm. with all this you yeah. know and so really you can trace this evolution and so now we're all convinced that we we have to eat breakfast that we have to eat at least every couple of hours and you know supply and demand right mm-hmm. well those things are obviously synced up and so um we we get into these mindsets and really so what frank goes back to is what do, what do we believe about eating and our eating habits what or what have we been led to believe you know and, and then everything comes out of mindset behaviors habits and so what we're doing physically with going to the refrigerator or going to the pantry, that isn't just some isolated physical action or, you know, the neuroelectrical system, you know, or, oh, this, this fire is here and that causes us little robot to go to fridge and do this. No, it starts with mindset and then, then it goes to behavior, then it goes to ha- it hardens into habit. Right. And so the question is, can we honestly step back and examine our habit loops and start to understand how we can re-engineer those and go back down the chain from habit to behavior, new behavior, grooving new behaviors until those become habit and change our whole mindset and our perspective and put food back in its rightful place in our lives rather than it becoming either this dependence or almost to some people, almost like a false god in their existence. Yeah, it becomes an addiction in some mm-hmm. ways, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. um, 
holy shit, man. <laughs> this is so awesome. Um, I was just thinking about like neuroplasticity, right? In terms of, you know, sort of the, the upsides of it, but there's the downsides of neuroplasticity in regards to like bad habits and what you guys are educating people on is like the whole, a concept of discernment, right? Because there's so much information out and that ties in with fasting with information as mm -hmm. well as mm -hmm. uh, nutrition, right? And so um, how we can become more aware of what's going on beyond like being controlled by certain forces like marketing and advertising and commercialization, right. um, part of like the survival instinct of working the nine to five, you come off of work, you hate your fucking job, you know, you're tired, you're just hungry, so hangry and horny, you know, you just start throwing stuff down the pipe, you're binge watching some of these amazing shows which are designed to be addictive, they're amazing shows, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're inundated with all this stuff and there gets to a point where you feel like like this sense of desperation Right. And so I seem, it seemed like a lot of us have to get to that like cracking point. We have to get to this place where we're just saturated, oversaturated with all this stimuli, all this noise. And, um, we, I guess maybe that's how we learn, you know, and we get to that place. And unfortunately, some people get to that place when they're on deathbed or they're about to be diagnosed mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. something that's horrible. And so, what you guys are doing is essentially like saying like, Hey, stop, hit the pause button. Let's take a look at this. And then here are some ways to like sort of gain more control of your, your life, you know, and, and now be sort of the master of that domain. Mm -hmm. So, um, what would be the, uh, the downsides to like the 17 hour fast? Like, uh, is there any in terms of, you know, uh, just, it's just new it's a new concept or what do you think well i think for people that have never fasted and are always in a in a fed or overfed state you know it can feel physically unpleasant the first couple of times or again we can set ourselves up psychologically to believe that i think there's no way i can go without food for that but here's the deal and the reason that you know frank says you should start this in the evening is to make it easier because guess what if you're getting adequate sleep you're going to be asleep for a decent percentage of this time. That's and so, awesome. You know, you have your you have your dinner, and then you know, with, with him, you know, an early risers. It seems to be in my co-authors a lot of early risers, and I'm not one of them. <laughs> and partly that's just chronobiology, and, and then secondarily, it's just you know reality of having two kids and multiple editors to answer to and you know i just find i can write write well at it's, night but yeah for some, it's because it's real quiet yeah, too. yeah that's your some, alone time but for someone like me you know there's obviously the option where i could start the fast later at night because i go to bed later and get up later but bottom line is if you're getting your eight, eight hours maybe nine if you're lucky of sleep then a decent percentage of this time you're going to be asleep. So really, one of the ways that Frank designed this was to to make it that way, so that it it does give you adherence right off the bat, and it, it doesn't make it so too unpleasant. So nature built in fasting through sleep. Yes, yeah. But if you go and eat a bunch of food right before bed, obviously now the bodybuilding community, as you say, well, be like, oh well, that's great. You know, I need to get my cottage cheese in or my you know my casein or whatever it is. And sure, there might be validity if your only goal is to put on muscle mass and there's obviously research to back up some of those things right but as you said nature would design us to you know go go to bed when the sun when the sun sets and be asleep 
and not be, you know, and, and to be in a fasted state when, when we're asleep. And so, yeah, I mean, it's um, it, it, it may feel a little bit unpleasant or, you know, jittery to people at first, even though, you know, particularly when you get into the morning hours. But Frank doesn't want to set it up so that it's like, well, if you don't get to 17, that it's an abject failure. You know, like if you, you're just truly feeling like crap and that isn't just a, a, a projection of your fears and doubts about it. Well, OK, well, maybe you get to 13 or 14 hours and you decide, OK, I'm going to break my fast, but maybe do it in a good way. Like you said, have a handful of almonds, handful of nuts, you know, maybe have an, half an avocado or something like that. Break it in a good way. Don't yeah. go get a so These are like guidelines. Yeah, they're not don't go laws. Get a yeah, they're yeah. not written in stone. Like Moses yeah. didn't come down <laughs> from, the, from the mountain <laughs> with these tablets and the 11th one was yeah. thou shalt not fast for one minute more or one minute less than 17 hours. And so, yeah, it's really um, just guidelines. And so, you know, well, if you get to 13 or 14 hours, well, guess what? you've gone most of the way and as long as you're breaking your fast in an intentional manner you know with some some good fats or something like that rather than a candy bar or can of coke or big glass of orange juice or something high sugar well okay well then fine and maybe the next time you try to go 20 or 30 minutes beyond that and maybe you don't get to the 17 maybe you find for you 14 or 15 just about right it gives it makes you feel a bit better you feel a bit more resilient you know that that one work meeting that your boss said would take an hour takes four hours and just descends into this long horrendous thing and you get to the end of it and sure you're ticked off that you've been sitting in a, a conference room for that long but outside of that like oh i'm not even really that hungry you know yeah it's interesting because it goes into this invisible like leash that we have with our technology and our smartphone so even if it's not like near us we're mm -hmm. thinking about like going to it mm -hmm. or thinking about food mm -hmm. or thinking about like this other thing that we got to do versus like truly being here you know yeah. so that sort of leash is like sort of cut that cord yeah you know uh that that invisible psychic energy of being tied to these other things that never allow us to like fully be here yeah so that's probably another benefit of this yeah because right? it, yeah. it's just that 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 fear of oh crap i haven't eaten for an hour and a half if i don't get you know a protein bar in the next five minutes i'm gonna freak out you know yeah yeah it's like that that acronym crap. like fear of missing out mm. fomo mm. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where yeah. like a lot of people are and, and back to your book unplugged that's mm -hmm. part of you know unplugging from all these things so that we can yeah. recalibrate to this place right where we feel like totally connected yeah versus deadening ourselves like even um you know, I told this story in a couple of other podcasts where we were on this trail a little bit further along and I'm with my wife and kids and, and uh, you know, it's like bikers, right? Or even I told oh, you the, yeah. the story of yesterday where this biker came bombing down the trail. You know, my wife and I were had said hi to the guy in the parking lot. He seemed like a nice guy. I'm sure he is. But he had his headphones in and wasn't paying attention. Maybe he just didn't know it was a mixed-use trail. It's not just a mountain bike trail. But he literally, you know, he heard the skidding because we didn't have our headphones in. We were just walking together and having some couple time and, you know, just walking along and back across the stream. And you heard this skidding on the on the loose rocks behind us. And she was like, oh, my goodness. And, you know, kind of pulled me aside. And, and this guy, you know, had his headphones in and, and almost crashed into us on his bike because even though I'm sure he was hopefully enjoying the trees, he wasn't listening to the birds you can probably hear in the background here and wasn't really paying attention for us and, and almost couldn't stop and almost ran into the back of me. And I've had that when I've been out running. And by running, I mean plodding. It's not the kind of running Brian McKenzie does. <laughs> anyway, it's plodding at best. But I'm a plodder, so, and I'm a proud plodder. So I was plodding the long one going again it 
by you know a guy came by and i've had this with a, both a runner and a biker on two separate occasions where they almost ran into me because they're looking down at what i assume is their heart rate you know they got their headphones in here you know and um even beyond the safety aspects this time of year the bears are out of hibernation we had a bear get in our garage twice wow. last year before we put on the metal sliders and, right. and it, it's real but even if there isn't a bear around and there isn't that danger element well okay well it's kind of nice to start to attune yourself to the bubbling stream that's 50 feet that way below us right now and and the uh, you know the rustling of the the, the leaves of the wind, and you, you don't have to go super hippie to to right. be able to appreciate these things. And so, you know, in the training community, I find like outside of maybe martial arts and kettlebell disciplines, um, you know, even to, even sometimes where I go speak at a conference and it's more of a group fitness thing, and the blaring music and the ton of people. That gives me the same level of panic as when I'm in rush hour in the middle of a city because for me, you know, my my, uh, physical practice is more of a kind of monastic thing, whether it's being out on the lake paddleboarding with my wife and kids or it's, um, you know, kettlebell work or it's flipping a tire in the backyard or whatever and just that quiet. But yet, you know, these gyms have created this experience, you know, and, and Jamie Wheel and Stephen Kotler go into this a little bit in Stealing a Fire of why why this, you know, blaring music and, and the why behind it. And so there are some reasons that they do it to drive certain feelings or behaviors. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, you know, again, so why, why are we... Um, trying to either deaden ourselves to experiences or in quotes enrich them through artificial means where you can't out baseline nature like even with the hacking community like trying to oh well you can elevate this it's like our goal should be to try to return ourselves to natural baselines in all these different things so with a 17 hour fast to retrain the liver and pancreas and that system a little bit what to elevate it 78 percent because i'm taking all these exogenous ketones no just to get us back close to the baseline right you know with our physical practice like with mobility wad kelly's thing isn't you know to try to t- make you superhuman no it's to return you to be able to move like a functional human being and the body's designed to last 110 years and do so with vitality so here's something to do or brian with the breath work you know and stay change i mean that's okay you know you can upregulate or downregulate but that's again to try to get you more in tune with your breath and how to use that as one of the mechanisms to control physical cognitive emotional state to return you more to a natural baseline yeah so to, we get the, this get idea that if we take this the you know these 200 pills a day of these various kinds or even these three different things or this mct oil that it's going to make us into superman or batman or something like this superhuman being right it's not that like it shouldn't be well it's batman. all about like performance right like people are trying to like sure. reach these high levels sure. and high states and try to yeah you know be super i mean there's a lot of this archetype in movies right like mm-hmm. people are mm-hmm. like man i want to be iron man yes. i want to be like yep. thor mm-hmm. you know um so it's all built in the culture in some sense. And I think it's cool that you can optimize and get to the place where you can become your best self. Yeah. But ironically, that does happen when you get back to baseline where you eliminate the noise, you get a sense of yourself and awareness, mm-hmm. you know, and then you can go out in the world with this sort of awareness and not get hijacked by sensory enhancement things that are designed to like keep us addicted, mm-hmm. keep us engaged, mm-hmm. you know, and sell more shit like yeah. to the point. You know, so um, that's uh, interesting that these kind of things are like built into society and, you know, and everything is instant. Right. And so this is this 
is enabling us to become all addicts where the whole point of what you guys are doing is to basically unplug or disengage from these things and then get to a place of baseline where you have like this sense of a center and calibration mm. and then from there you can like go out in the world with this uh, holding on to this awareness like to anchor it and then you, you're even more powerful to notice like bs like bullshit all the noise all the chaos mm. and maneuver through it kind of like the whole point of like martial arts or these like disciplines right is to discover yourself and step out into the world with that sort of power right, right. And, and that's when you become even like human you're more human and then people perceive that as being superhuman mm -hmm. they're just going about it in a weird way mm -hmm. they're going about it in a way that they think that they can override nature you right. know including their own nature mm -hmm. which we can i mean we've seen that with like wim hof mm -hmm. but he's essentially gone back to nature to be able to tap into these evolutionary mm -hmm. powers that are already wired in yeah and and if you look at like the growth of these tourism experiences with unplugged retreats or i read something I, I i think it was in outside magazine or red bulletin or one of those where it talked about the the massive growth in um people booking time at monasteries and convents to not just embrace, you know, maybe there's a fasting component of that, but just the discipline of silence and solitude. And as you mentioned, untethering, like check your phone in at the door kind of right. thing, and you're not getting it back. And so why is there this, you know, thing that's becoming, you know, tens of millions of dollars a year being spent on that kind of retreat? Because I think, as you mentioned earlier, people were realizing that despite this abundance, they're sicker than ever before. You know, they're more stressed than ever before. They're more unsatisfied than ever before and all these things that they thought that they could fill this kind of eternal this hole this eternal longing within themselves maybe they're starting to realize that as you said that is bs and that's a false promise um you know food has become this this thing that it was never intended to be you know like we you know talk about stress eating and that kind of thing and then again from that mindset and that that uh that behavior then becomes a habit and now suddenly that becomes the norm um you know and and, and it starts to become this this bigger thing than just the individual but then we start to look at it on a societal level and look at some of those trends and and again it's not to say that like oh, oh all of this is bad and therefore we shouldn't you know just completely ditch it never mess with it again you know um but it's just these sm becoming more aware and learning from people that have, you know, got back closer to those baselines and then starting to decide, like, really, what, it, what is essential in your life? You know, going back to that Bruce Lee quote, and what are those few things that you've decided to try to master? Um, what are those relationships that you've decided to prioritize? Because it's great to have, you know, 1,200 or 1,500 pseudo friends on Facebook. Um, and if you're putting out positive stuff and you're not getting bogged down in viewing everything through the lens of divisive partisan politics, you know, and all that negativity that we see online or you're not trolling people, well, you know, it's a great way to communicate, let people know what you're up to. You and I obviously connected through this. And yeah. so, again, it's a neutral thing um, that if you wield it well, that's fine. But when was the last time you sat down with a friend for an hour, hour and a half and had an in-depth conversation like this where you weren't? you know something was buzzing on your wrist something in your pocket you know just taking you out of that experience and as you said just even the recognition that it i may not be physically looking at it but it's there 
takes you out of that and diminishes those experiences. So what are those um, few few disciplines that you have decided are essential? How are you going to decide to, to, to pursue them and prioritize them and master them? And, and sometimes even one of those just changes that may seem small, like swapping your your Fitbit or your Apple Watch for a freaking analog watch or whatever it is so that you're not you know given into that FOMO all the time and even if you look at the ads for those things that's what it's based on ne- never miss a message again like okay they're push- pushing the personalized coaching angle but it's also never miss a text or email again like really you need another way for people to contact you 24/7 and you think that's going to add to your life in some way you know it was back in the day unless you're a member of the military or like Frank you were on call for a hospital right you you, you know and those people would have a pager who who else was contactable 24 hours a day? And again, we haven't caught up in terms of adapting to these things, to this rapid pace of change, just like with what we were talking about with food delivery, storage, and preservation. We haven't given ourselves a chance to cause up. So what are some of the problems that's caused? And how can we just in small ways start to be more cognizant of that and then make these changes, which may seem small, but may actually over time accumulate bigger benefits? Man, this is amazing, dude. This is really cool because I think that's why I love having this show is that I can gauge and have these conversations. I think a lot of people are really um, yearning for these kind of things. I think that's why like podcasts are becoming so popular, right? Because there are some times when we're in traffic or we're driving and it's it's annoying to have to like wait that long to get somewhere because of you know overpopulation in certain areas mm-hmm. but the beauty of podcasts or even like old school radio back in the days when they had like storytelling where you had to use like imagination and just the, the power of voice you know the, that's engaging to hear these conversations right. to be able to use each other as a soundboard because I think a lot of feedback mechanisms going on that we miss that's it's lost through technology you know through a screen you know and what's interesting is that um, I, I really feel like that's where we're heading now is that more and more people are having these kind of conversations, are disengaging mm-hmm. from tech, um, which is, you know, it's it's cool. I mean, it's entertaining. Again, it's like how you wield it. But I just think about like all the people like wanting to achieve fame or wanting to be like noticed or yeah. thinking that if they had a ton of followers or something. I know. Or, and it goes back to I, there's this great episode of Seinfeld where, uh, you know, Kramer and Jerry are out for a walk one day and Kramer sees this old talk show set in a dumpster and pulls it out, you know, and set the Merv Griffith show and oh, sets yeah. it up in his apartment. And uh, he brings in Jim Fowler, the animal expert, you know, kind of like Steve Owen before the crocodile hunter, you know, like 25, 30 years before. And, and uh, you know, to be a guest on, in this, in quotes, talk show. And, and Jim Fowler looks around and he says, where are the cameras? And there aren't any. And that's that to me, like social media, like people going live all the time. And it's like, OK, I'm on social media as a box check. And because it allows me to set up interviews and to make connections with great people like yourself. And so there are benefits to it's it. A but, broadcast, you yeah, know, like but a, a lot good of the messaging. time, I think really are my 800 Instagram followers, like waiting with bated breath to see what am I going to do next? I mean, come on, that's just delusion. And so it goes back to the Kramer thing, you know, with his yeah. talk show of where are all the cameras, you know? And yeah, yeah. So at another point, someone's asking him something like that, and, and, and he says, like, no more questions. You know, <laughs> it's uncomfortable to have to reckon with that reality of, like, this... Uh, 
you know, kind of ego gone mad, ego run rampant, and this delusion of, uh, you know, captaining the good ship delusion. And, you know, somewhat, I guess, iPod and I everything may have created this and just kind of atomized certain parts of culture, you know, with regard to music and other things. But then you just, um, you, you start to think like, the narcissism element of it, um, you know, sometimes I think, you know, I should just not be on social media, partly because my co-authors have big following, so practical sense, maybe we don't need it. But then also, if I really honestly totaled up that time, where could I reinvest that? And so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy because through Unplugged, I actually, like, stepped away from mm-hmm. social yeah, media, right, yeah, for yeah. like six months. Mm-hmm. The only reason I came back was that there were actually people that really were inspired by mm-hmm. my life yeah. and how I'm able to do what I do, right? And so. Yeah. I was thinking, I was like, well, if I'm going to come back, it's for them yes. because I could care less about it. You know, it was yeah. so liberating not to be mm. attached to that anymore, you know. But what was interesting is that towards that that place where I started to come back, I was actually like sneaking on and like looking mm. at like what everybody else was doing. So in a way, it was really cool in terms of a networking thing or like keeping up with like what's going on in like the people that I'm close to in yes. their lives, you yeah. know? So like that was kind of the original intention was like yeah. to keep in touch with your friends and family. But then all of a sudden it grew to the pseudo family, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it's like now you're like seeing some feed, right? And you're uh-huh. like, you're next thing you know, like two hours gone. <laughs> And you're like, you know, you're like seeing a feed of something or you see something politics or something on YouTube or some viral video. You go down these Uh rabbit holes and you're like, holy shit, where the hell did I go the last couple of uh, hours? Mm -hmm. The same if you're mindlessly driving, right? You get to a place and you're like, how the hell did I get Mm -hmm. here, right? And Mm -hmm. it's pretty crazy, like how the brain works, you know, and how... Um, once we get a hold of like understanding how it works, like how powerful we mm-hmm. can become, yeah. but also how um, uh, vulnerable we, we can become yeah. to these things, you know, yeah. if we're not aware of it. Yeah. And again, it kind of comes down to, um, you know, what we talk about in Unplugged a little bit, like it, it, if, if you're using it as a beneficial tool and you have a handle on that and, and, and there are boundaries around it, then great, keep doing it, right? But if it's become a taskmaster that is constantly preying on your mind, I think in his book, um, Irresistible, Adam Alter says the average American touches or looks at their phone every 6.5 minutes. That's addiction. Like, that's a problem. And so if <laughs> yeah. it's at that level, and then you layer fitness technology on top of it, and you're checking your freaking steps and your heart rate and your whatever, your HRV, whatever it might be, all the time, as well as checking all your, you know, your iPad, your iPhone, your eye, everything all the time, and it has a handle on you, and it's become a domineering taskmaster, that's an issue that you might want to check yourself a little bit, you know, and at least run one of those monitoring apps that looks at how much time you actually spend. Because chances are, like how people overestimate the number of hours that they spend sleeping, I'm going to guess myself and, and you and and everyone else out there probably underestimates the amount of time that we spend engaged with technology and then as you said if you're just surfing feeds for a couple hours how much is that as beneficial versus as you said the chance to spread a positive message and you know like with any of the books if we're able to change to move the needle in a positive direction for one person 
then I think we've done our jobs. And the same with your podcast. If you're able to inspire one person, the meaningful change, then I think you're doing a great job. And so, again, all of these things are neutral. It's just a question of what our, what our intention is and what our application is. And are we doing that for the greater good? Right. So this comes into like addiction and so intervention for addictions, right? Because a lot of people think the answer is to go cold turkey. And I think that that's the case for some really extreme cases but for most people to actually master this is to actually just be aware and know like first admit that you're addicted Mm -hmm. like i can certainly admit in the past i was addicted to social media Mm -hmm. and like the smartphone Mm -hmm. in some ways i still am Mm -hmm. but less i've been able to move the needle which is cool and people are under understanding that even with like the 17 hour fast for per se is that hey like i may not have been able to hit 17 but i was able to hit like 12 mm-hmm. and then 13 like a week later and then slowly built so i think the answer for me with addiction is like exposure therapy mm-hmm. is to be around it to be in these areas or like uh, environments that are addicting mm-hmm. but now you can actually say no yeah, and you know. again, it, and it's partly that's what we hope this book is. Is not just like okay, you need to put food back in its proper place. It's just a reset, you know, yeah. and being able to set up boundaries. And some, you know, there are some helpful apps for the tech stuff, like where it literally, after you've been online or on Instagram or Facebook for X amount of minutes a day, it will shut it down so you can't get into it unless you probably got rid of the app and like, oh, I hate this. I'm not doing this anymore. But so there are some artificial ways to do it. But once you've maybe regrooved a new more positive behavior with a boundary around it then from there how much like with andy's experiment in the lab with the runners and you know the the rate of perceived exertion and managing to gauge their pace that way then can you maybe start to peel away that app or that technology that's limiting it and setting the boundary and start to just know okay that's enough for today i'm going to push away from this for now and go play with my kids without looking at my phone oh how was your day at school son and then you go back to looking at your phone like that's not good (laughs) yeah it's interesting too because what you guys are doing is providing education that's not even provided in school too right because like with anything that requires getting a license or a certification that there is some training involved with like driving a car or or buying a a firearm or Mm -hmm. in this case like buying a smartphone or a computer you know like how uh, like that's where parents come in to be able to educate their kids because you see kids are like fully addicted to these things you know it's like these are all and technological like babysitters you mm-hmm. know like or, or, or replacing parenting it's like mm-hmm. I don't want to deal with this like crazy mm-hmm. kid so here just watch this little movie yeah, on this and, tiny screen and then know? the rest of the time I'm going to have them in a million activities and then I'm going to complain and when you ask me Oh, so how's life? Oh, well, I'm just a glorified taxi driver for my kids. You know, they're in soccer, they're in volleyball, they're in this. So, yeah, the combination of the iPad is all the TV is the third parent or the video game system. And then, you know, Chris Chris Bell really goes into this, obviously, to the nth degree in trophy kids. Um, you know, that, that kind of, you know, sp- yeah, sports are good, but again, in their place. But if that's taking the place of you engaging with your kid and actually having this valuable two-way relationship then again you add that to the tech well there may be zero minutes a day you're actually in a real authentic engaged conversation with your child and at least for me that that would be a problem so 
Yeah, it's crazy because I think about uh, a lot of the issues in society is because like parents aren't talking to their kids and their kids don't have a chance to talk to their parents and maybe they're acting up because it's their cry to get attention to finally be able to connect with their mm-hmm. parents, to be vulnerable, to be able to sort of like say what they feel, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of people are like bottling these things up in yeah. some form or another. So like having a like conversation and communicating in the flesh, not through texting, which I've seen where people are texting each other from like across the room or on right. the same table, right. you know, and actually, you know, cause all this social anxiety that comes with that unless they're like these kids that are on a spectrum of Mm -hmm. like say autism you know which i think you know with exposure therapy that they can like adapt over time to becoming more and more um what's considered like normal whatever the fuck that means you know (laughs) but um so yeah super important that people like actually have conversations again um, we got about about five minutes here, so yeah. I want to know about you, man. Uh, <laughs> we talked no. about all this cool stuff. No, we stuff talked too much here. about me. You yeah, should, <laughs> you, should tell, you should tell me a story. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah. I just uh, you know traveling here, um, hangry and horny. It's just been like something that I really love to do. And uh, you know, what do you want to know, brother? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, what have you learned in Colorado the last few days? What have you? What's been kind of a, a light bulb moment for you? Yeah, it's really interesting to see the contrast between, like, states like California and Colorado. Um, What's interesting is, like, this was the first state to, like, legalize marijuana. So, um, I don't know. Like, I can't tell if people are high or not. Like, I don't even smell weed like I do in California. Like, seem like everywhere I go in California or even, like, Vancouver, Canada, it's like, holy shit, man. There's just weed everywhere, you know? And uh, ironically, I've not smelled marijuana at all that is you know ironic. um the other second thing is um i can't believe like how clean the air is you know like there is still traffic but it's nowhere near like what we experience in like california mm-hmm. so that's been interesting um people actually make eye contact here mm-hmm. and like say hi or wave and i find in california like people are so like caught up in their own lives or mm-hmm. whatever the reason is that if you walk by and say hi like they're like reluctantly saying hi or you know they they don't they don't look at you they just keep walking Mm -hmm. so um so that's been interesting and just hanging out with like you scott carney uh, dr dan angle Mm -hmm. um being in you guys's world it's been really cool um it's really cool to see like that you guys are living this lifestyle and so am i so that's been uh really fun uh what else have i learned um yeah i mean like yesterday i was just gardening with uh, scott and his wife laura Mm -hmm. so like getting down in the dirt how how much how important that was like to actually like do physical exercise but stock it with something that actually has an an outcome Mm -hmm. whereas like you know you go to the gym and you move weights around and yeah your body looks great and you feel great but did it contribute to like the world did it did it have like a sense of what i like what i heard from jamie wheel and stephen collar the does it grow corn Mm. does it have something that will be produced in life that will be a value of people so we did this gardening we planted plants got in on our hands and knees Mm -hmm. um used like tools so we're using muscles that we probably don't use that often right and so 
the beneficial bacteria that was coming in, right? And like, I had one of my best sleeps ever last mm. night, right? And I think that has to do with this environment in Colorado. It's just like so powerful. Um, it feels like home here. You know, I've traveled so many places and mm. the reason I like traveling is I love novelty. I love connecting with people. I love different environments. Mm. So it gives me that sense of alignment, aliveness and like flow. Um, and so being here, it just feels a lot lighter, um, like more vibrant and, uh, you know, maybe the, the food, there's not as many options like as they are in California, like California has like everything, mm -hmm. but to me, it seemed like probably the least happiest state, mm -hmm. you know? And what I saw here is like, this is the most fittest state in the nation, and like you see people outside their houses, right? Which is another thing that I picked up. We're in California. It's so densely populated, but you, you barely see people out of their houses in neighborhoods, you know, unless you're in a city. Mm -hmm. And so that's another interesting thing to, to notice. And and um, I think there is a correlation when you're like walking and you actually see people uh, saying hi to you first. So they're actually initiating, right? Mm hmm so yeah it's been pretty fun man it's really cool to to be here yeah. um yeah i'm I'm always considering because i'm i'm just a nomad right i just maybe that's ancestral and um but i've always tried to like find a place where i can put roots down mm -hmm. and then after two or three months i like gotta get back on the road so um but if i were to pick like a place to live is certainly be here mm -hmm. and um you know I, I would love to have a place in like california hawaii like new york like each place has like their amazing like upsides you know mm -hmm. but there's always trade-offs with anything in life you know and uh with this podcast with this type of equipment it's easy to to be able to be mobile and that's where the smartphone comes in or going to coffee shops and having wi-fi it may not be the best Wi-Fi, but at least I can I can make it happen, you know. Yeah. And so, I think the thing for me is just like never quit, you know. Anytime you quit in life, like you won't, you you you're guaranteed that you're not going to reach your dream, mm -hmm. you know. And so, like that's the other thing is like how well can you bounce back from, you know, reaching these like high creative manic uh, states like flow you know and then like the, the the back end like having a hangover you know and learning how to like manage your states and so all these things you're talking about with all these amazing like leaders and authors mm -hmm. and um they're putting out information it's like yeah we're human too like we we fuck up but we 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 keep going you know we just mm -hmm. pick up our uh, pick up us dust ourselves off pick ourselves up by our bootstraps keep going don't quit yeah. you know and so um and, and I've certainly done that in the past. So that's the beauty of like living life is you're learning from your own experience, your own experiment, and just to keep moving forward. So like, like it's inspiring that you're like so prolific with writing books. You know, I've written a book in the past and I got into a state where I don't remember like how I wrote that thing, you know? So, but it was because I, every day I just like, I did a little bit and yeah. I just like moved the needle and I think that if I, that would be what you would say is that every day you're Advanced just consistent some days it's a lot some days it's not <laughs> yeah but just keep yeah doing it and suddenly keep going a manuscript comes out the other end yeah awesome man any final words before we like close up 
No, I mean, I really just appreciate the time and you come, coming up and us hanging and being able to do a uh, first interview that I've done truly uh, unplugged outdoors. And uh, yeah, you being open to that. And so, yeah, I mean, I would just say really, it just, um, it, again, the, the uniting thread between Kelly Starrett, Dr. Frank Merritt, um, Fergus Conley, Andy Galpin, Chris Frankel, um, Brian McKenzie, all these great co-authors and collaborators that have taught me so much and continue to is just a passion for helping people. And so, um, again, just, uh, you, you know, the, having the blessing to learn from them and to be able to serve by taking ideas out of their heads and put them onto the page to, to hopefully help some people is really just my continuing goal and really to to tell stories that, that hopefully change lives and improve lives is... Um, is going to continue to be my goal and so hopefully that that uh resonates with people and um it's able to 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 help bring some meaningful change and that's if we're doing that then you know then i'd be okay 50 years from now i could look back on say you know regardless of how many books sold or however many views or clicks or however they manage the validity of blog posts these days uh that it, it, it was worth it if it impacted a few lives in a positive way so thanks for the opportunity to be able to say that and for our conversation today uh, yeah thanks for coming on phil um how can people uh find you on... yeah now the irony, yeah yeah. Right? yeah so yeah most most of the social networks it's just uh backslash phil white books um instagram twitter facebook that kind of thing and so uh yeah that is ironic given what we're talking about but again trying to use it for good and so yeah and then um just if anyone wants to reach out directly i'd love to have a conversation and uh you know just fill in a contact form on my website philwhitebooks.com which i don't update very often but i do get those messages and so yeah we'd love to have a conversation with anyone and uh that's partly what it's about and just um being open to conversation and uh sometimes differing opinions through that and then realizing heaven forbid that you actually know far less than you thought you did and maybe you need to change your thoughts on some stuff so yeah go ahead reach out for white books and that would be, uh, yeah, great to talk to anyone and everyone about whatever. <laughs> yeah, and it's cool because the irony, too, is that, like, even though we may have difference in opinions, that we actually have a lot in common, yeah. you know, with each other. So, Phil White, thanks for coming on. Oh, Henry and Horny, so brother. Much. Appreciate it. Thank Great. you. Thank you, my man. <laughs> thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope you liked that episode with Phil White. He's just an awesome person. Definitely check out his books, Unplugged, The 17-Hour Fast. And, uh, yeah, just thank you. Big, big shout-out to Phil White. Thank you for taking the time to hang out with me and and share all this wonderful knowledge and wisdom to all you guys of Hangry and Horny. And I want to also thank my sponsor of this show, Fat Bomb, F-Bomb. That's... Uh, Ross and Kara out of Flagstaff, Arizona. They make amazing nut butters that are macadamia based. And you can go on to dropanfbomb.com and use the promo code FLOWREAL, F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L, and get 20% off of your first order of incredible nut butters that have amazing flavors like macadamia uh, with sea salt, you got macadamia pecan with sea salt, you got salted chocolate with sea salt, and they also have macadamia and coconut with sea salt, which is one of my favorites. So go to dropanfbomb.com, use that promo code FLOWREAL, and get 20% off your first order. 
Thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of Hangry and Horny. Love ya. Mwah.